Well, as was mentioned in the comments earlier, this Sunday is the day of Pentecost, the day we remember the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit who has given birth to every true Christian as well as giving birth to the church. You know, the church has continued for nearly 2,000 years in local gatherings very similar to this one. Local churches fulfill Christ's great commission from Matthew 28, making disciples as they preach the gospel, as they baptize believers, and as they teach all that Christ commanded us to know and to do. According to church history, the use of catechism, the the thing that we talked about just a few moments ago, goes back to the generation just after the very first apostles. Some say that even the gospel writer Mark taught through catechism when he was in Egypt as early as 61 or 68 A.D., Well, it's not surprising that this would be a method, this question and answer format would be a method used by the church. We see it used by Paul here in Romans, what we're studying today. In Romans 6 through 8, he is foreseeing his readers' questions and answering them. And we're going to see that happen today. Today, we're in chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, what Priscilla just read to us. The title of this sermon, if we were to title it, is United with Christ. And the main point that you should get out of this that we will see is that we are dead to the reign of sin and alive to God. Dead to the reign of sin and alive to God. Now, Paul has just shown in chapter 5, what was just prior to this, how God's grace is greater than our sin. And he concluded that chapter this way. In 5, 20 through 21, he said, Where sin increased, grace all the more increased, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness To bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Naturally, that would raise a question about, okay, well then, how then should we live in the time between receiving God's grace now and entering eternal life after judgment? It's what we called last week the already and not yet that we are living in right now. That question, which it begins... Chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? It's really an important question. And maybe you've wondered about this yourself. If God's grace is greater and it covers all my sin, past, present, and future, then why not continue to sin greatly? So God's grace will become even greater. What would keep me from just letting go of trying to be righteous? I mean, sin more so that God's grace can cover it. God will forgive. Heard one person say, it's our job to sin. It's God's grace to forgive. 
Well, many accuse the gospel for that very problem. They, they say you know, the gospel is just a license for sin. And they'd be right if it were true. It would be offensive to think that God would pay the debt of sin and then just allow people to keep on sinning. You see, that's the, that's the issue with what are called name-only Christians. They're, they're Christian in name only while their lives are full of sin. You see, they're not really followers of Christ. Paul answers this question that he, he raises very strongly. He says, never, never for Paul and even for anyone who believes in Jesus, this is a concern of life or death. Paul explains in verses 2 through 10, and then he follows with how our lives should change by the grace of God in verses 11 to 14. Let's consider in point number two, his answer, how he explains it. And that is that we are united with Christ. Paul begins this explanation of our union in verses three and four through an image. And that image is baptism. And Paul brings up baptism to give a vivid picture answer to this question that he's asked about how we should live in light of God's grace that is greater than our sin. Well, how does, how does baptism connect to Paul's answer? Well, in response to God's grace, our old nature must die and we must begin a new life in Christ. Romans 6, 3-4. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now consider these five things we learn about baptism from Paul's answer and how that then relates to The question that he's answering. First, baptism is a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. A physical symbol of a spiritual reality. It marks our union with Christ now. As verse 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. It marks our union. Secondly, baptism is immersion in water. So the the Greek word here literally means to immerse, to put under water. Paul's suggestion of immersion in this image shows that this union is in a grave. It's, It's being buried With Christ. In the same way we go under the water. Thirdly, baptism is communal. It's it's together. 
you will not put yourself in your own grave. Guaranteed. And so baptizing yourself, it, it can't happen. It really shouldn't happen. <laughs> that would be no more than swimming or taking a bath. But, but baptism, what is baptism? Baptism is an ordinance of the church in which the church publicly affirms that person's faith. And it's that person publicly proclaiming their commitment to and union with Christ. Now, baptism might happen in other ways or or in other places, but normally... Baptism is done by immersion in a local church. Now, fourth thing, baptism is a one-time event. Verse 10, look at verse 10. It says that the death he died, he died to sin once for all. And being, being baptized into a death like his, well, then we also are baptized once. Because and because baptism happens only once in a person's life, the church really should be careful about who they baptize. And that's why, number five, baptism is for believers only. Baptism is for believers only. Now, in, in, in chapters three to five that we've looked at before, Paul showed Clearly, that we are saved and united with Christ only by God's grace through faith in Christ. Christianity cannot be inherited. You do not inherit your family's faith. It can't save you. It makes no sense then to baptize babies. But, but only those who are born again by the Holy Spirit through faith. And, and, and listen, baptism is not meant for your immigration case. Okay? That's not what baptism is for. The, the only immigration that baptism has to do with is the one where you enter into the kingdom of God's Son. So, the church should only baptize those who believe in Christ and who are willing to unite with Him in a death and a resurrection like His. That's what baptism is for. Now, before we leave baptism, a common question. Is baptism required to be a Christian? Is baptism required in order to be a Christian? Well... No, it's not required. Jesus told the thief that, that was dying next to him on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And he couldn't get himself off of the cross and go get baptized, could he? No, that man wasn't baptized, but he is certainly in heaven. Now his, his situation was a little unusual, Right? Baptism isn't required to be a Christian, but it is normal. Normal. That Pentecost day that the church was born, the one we, we, that Robin read about, 
After Peter preached the gospel, the crowd asked, Brothers, what must we do? And, and Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is one of the first acts of obedience for a, a new disciple. In a couple weeks during this regular service, we'll, you'll actually get to see several people display the gospel through baptism. And, and, and our members will have already affirmed their union with Christ, and then you'll get to hear their public profession of faith and see them going in the water and up. What a joy-filled celebration we anticipate in just a couple weeks. And I, I just, I hope you will be able to join us for that time to see, to witness these amazing stories of faith. Well, before we leave baptism, have you come to faith in Jesus but not yet been baptized since you've believed? Well, friend, then it's time for you to follow your faith, to follow Christ in baptism. Come and talk to me, one of the elders. We'd be happy to think this through with you. All right, well, now ten times... In verses 5 to 11, Paul speaks of this union of true believers with Christ. Baptism is the image he's used, but his point is that we have been united with Christ in a death and in a life like his. Remember back in chapter 5, Paul had spoken about Adam as our human representative leader, but that through faith, Jesus replaces that representative leadership in the life of a believer. Now, back in chapter 5, Paul only mentioned that Jesus was much more than Adam, much, much better than Adam, he said. How we go through this transfer of leadership is what Paul's getting at here. And it's radical. In Colossians, Paul calls it the transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his son. So Christian, do you think that the domain of darkness is just going to lay down and, and let you go without a fight? No way. No, and not only is sin and Satan opposed to your obeying this new master, your own flesh is opposed to it. Your own body and mind are opposed. Leaving what's familiar and following Jesus is a big deal. It takes a, a leap of faith. Faith that requires you to die. It's a big deal. Our, our bodies, our minds are not ready to die. They don't want to die. 
But this is Jesus' call in the gospel. Listen to Luke 9, 23 and 24. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, that is die, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. That's Jesus' call. His call to you is to follow. It's a call for you to give up all you know, all that you are. But believer, you're not alone. You're not alone. He calls you to lose your life in him. United with him. So Christian, I have to ask, have you lost your life in order to follow Christ? Or are you just trying to live somehow in both worlds? You know, if you've not given up your life completely, then you may not be following him at all. We all follow something or someone. Maybe, maybe you don't even know what you're following. Most people don't know what they're following. Sin and Satan have ruled our lives for so long that we, we don't even notice the chains anymore. We don't even notice that we're bound in sin. But you see the effect. You know that your life is broken. You you see the evidence in the relationships and in your circumstances. And of course, it's so typical to blame other people. But take notice of your own heart. See how quickly you turn to self. 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 Gratification, self-preservation. Isn't it so easy, so natural? Maybe you, maybe you don't know that you are bound in sin. You, maybe, you, maybe there's some sin you want to quit, but you just you feel dragged along by temptation, some invisible force that compels you to obey, to give in again. Friends, Jesus came to set us free, free from the sinful nature. He he came to clear your debt and deliver you from the tyrannical reign of sin in your life. Sin is a tyrant. Jesus came. Jesus is God's plan to save and to deliver. He he lived the righteous life that, that you and I can't. And he died on a cross, a substitute in death, in order to pay that debt of guilt that your sin has been building up. And his resurrection guarantees that he is able 
to deliver. He is the hero of heaven. He is the king of the universe. And he has never, ever lost a fight. Look, if you've never trusted and followed Jesus, I want you to hear his call to you right now through his word and through this voice. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Look, whatever you lose in this life, friend, it it is... It, it is nothing compared to the wonders and the glories and the blessings that will be yours in him through faith. He's calling to you to follow. So turn from your sin and be united with him. If that's you, if that describes you, if you are ready to turn from your sin and follow Jesus, to, then then. Talk to any, any member in this church. They've all, they've all been baptized and have shown their faith in Christ. We'd be happy to walk with you in this. You are not alone. Now, the effect of this union with Christ is perhaps most clearly explained right here in Romans chapter 6. You know, if you've trusted Christ, then then verses 6 and 9 describe two things that you should know about this gospel and about your union with Christ. Verse 6 says, we know that our old self was, that, that, that is our old sinful nature that was handed down from Adam That old self is crucified with him. That is with Christ. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Believer, listen. Dying united with Christ means your union with Adam has been canceled. It's broken. And our freedom from sin and Satan comes through that union with Christ in his death. The rule of sin in your life ends as you die with him. But that's not all. No. (laughs) Believing in Jesus is union with a crucified And a risen Lord. Verse 9. The second thing we know. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So union with Christ isn't only dying with him. It's also living with him. Verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Oh, brothers and sisters, united with Christ by faith, we are able to live now for God. Freed from the reign, the tyranny of sin. No longer bound up living for the pleasures of this flesh. We 
we can truly now give ourselves to God because we're, we're, we're united with a resurrected Savior. Amen? So we come now to Paul's, to Paul's applications. Paul has some applications in verses 11 to 14, which form the third point of this sermon. It's, so, it's the so what about it all. What it means, what does it mean then to be, to be dead to sin and alive to God? This is where Paul gives five commands. He's, he's telling us what would be a proper response to God's grace in the gospel. The first and overarching command is verse 11. How are we as believers to see ourselves? Well, he says, in the same way, which means as Christ died and lived to God, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And now that command has two sides. Did you see? Be dead to sin and alive to God. And then the the next two commands, or I should say the next four commands, fit under those two things. Two in the dying to sin and two in the living to God. Let's first consider what it means to be dead to sin. Are you seeking to follow Christ and to keep your old life? I asked that question earlier. Jesus will not have it, my friends. You cannot live for Christ and live according to the world at the same time. Taking up your cross is an all or nothing proposal. If you're seeking to save your life, like that verse in Luke said, you will lose Christ. But if you count yourself dead to sin, You not only gain Christ, you find life, eternal life. Oh, how, but but how this, this, how this cuts against our natural tendencies. I mean, you feel it, I know, like I do. Deep in us, there's this fight for survival. We don't want to die in our flesh. The reason this dying is so difficult is because through, through faith we've been born again spiritually before we die physically. See, we're born again by the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, through faith in Christ. And, and their eternal life for the believer starts in that moment. And yet... Our physical bodies and our minds are still living. They're still alive. We're still experiencing the natural life. The pain, the shame, the struggles, the temptations. That's all still going on. As long as we have these bodies and minds, sin will be close. 
Like, like God said to Cain in Genesis 4, 7, he said, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. But see, by faith, okay, sin might be near, but by faith, we're no longer bound to it. We're no longer chained to it any longer. We're free. That old sinful nature passed down from Adam? No. He's no longer the representative leader for the believer. And therefore, you don't have to submit to sin. You don't have to obey sin any longer. Verse 12 and 13 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Okay, so Christ has freed us from sin's harsh reign so that we can obey God. This, this obedience of faith begins, firstly, by not giving in to sin's evil desires for us. Think, think of sin as, that, that, as a hungry lion. And that hungry lion is crouching at your door. It is ready to eat you. It wants you. Now some animals, when facing a threat like that, they count themselves dead. Right? They count themselves dead to be safe from their enemy. How... Believer, are you counting yourself dead to sin? Two commands Paul gives us here in verse 12 and 13. Verse 12, remember that you are no, you, you no longer have to obey sin. It's not your master. And in, and in verse 13, don't obey sin's desires. Don't offer any part of your body as a tool for evil. So, any part. Any part. We have lots of parts. What part of your body do you need to stop offering to sin as a tool? Maybe it's your eyes. Maybe your ears. Maybe your hands or feet or your tongue maybe your belly or your thoughts what part Christian do you need to stop offering to sin when friends call you to do the things that you used to do count yourself dead to that old way and say, no thanks. When, when maybe the shows you're watching start to, to take on a, a bad language or sexual things, or maybe they promote ideas that are clearly against God and His Word, friends, count yourself dead to those temptation or those desires to keep watching 
feel free to fast forward or better yet, just turn the thing completely off. When someone offends you and everything in you just wants to get back at them, count yourself dead to that desire. Let it, let it be to you like, like water on a summer day that dries as soon as it hits the ground. Let it die. If you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. You have been transformed. You have been freed from the reign of sin to obey a new leader. The Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace in the gospel, it doesn't lead us to continue in sin. To get back to Paul's question, should we continue in sin? No. But rather, the grace of the gospel leads us to die to sin. It's in this all or nothing spirit that Paul said in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness So responding to grace, that grace that is greater than our sin, means, one, counting ourselves dead to sin, but also counting ourselves alive to God. Let's talk about that. See here the contrast in chapter 6. Walking in faith, walking in the obedience of faith is not only the negative, dying to sin side, But it's also the positive, living to God side. And we, friends, are empowered to live for God. Why? Because we're united with Christ. It's not our strength. But it's His Spirit living in us. He died to sin, but now He lives to God. And as the old song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Friends, because he lives, we live. Two commands in verse 13 about living for God. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And, secondly, offer every part of yourself to Him as a tool for righteousness. So, firstly, give yourself to God. Since you no longer give yourself to sin, you are free to give yourself to God. This this obedience that that Paul's calling us to, he, he gives us a motivation. He says, you've been brought from death to life. It's already been given to us. So live. It's it's that second chance that everybody hopes for. You ever ever just wish you had a second chance? Well, this this is our second chance. But rather than a second chance where you just fall again, 
God gives more grace. United with Christ, we live with Christ to God. We live with Him. Will you fail in this already and not yet time? Certainly. (laughs) Certainly. But remember, child of God, His grace is greater than your sin. Remember that He who began a good work in you is committed to bring it to completion until the day of Christ. Remember, child of God, that if you are truly in His hand, then nothing and no one can snatch you out of His hand. Remember, child of God, He will hold you fast. Secondly, this offering of ourselves to God is a none and all proposition. None and all. Paul contrasts not offering any part of yourself to sin, like we just saw, none of you, with now offering every part of yourself to God. All of you. Another old song says, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Christ gave Himself fully to bring you from death to life. Fully. Believer, are you freely giving yourself 100% to Him? Oh, He is worthy of it all. Give yourself, friend, every part of yourself. Give it all to Him. And remember, you're not alone. You're not alone. Through faith, you are united with Christ. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And even though you may have to go through many sufferings or difficult things, hard trials, He will go with you. He is your shepherd through the green pastures as well as the deep, dark valleys. And... You are united with the church. You are united to many brothers and sisters in Christ. The the Christian life is not meant to be individual. It's not an individual island sort of thing. We are gathered together in communities of faith, helping one another to grow in faith and good works. Together. So are you united with the brothers and sisters? Members of EBC, you have tasted and seen how living this covenant life together has caused you to grow in your faith. And if you're not a member of, of, of this church or some other church, I, I submit to you that 
you need to attach yourself to the church. And members, I, I want to submit to you that we can grow deeper together with one another. Uh, are there sick among us? Yes. Are there those who are struggling with various things? Yes. And I know, I know some of your cultures would say, don't bother, don't bother your brother, don't bother your sister. Look, count yourself dead to that old self and follow the Bible that says, as even James 5.14 says, are there sick among you? Let them call the elders of the church to pray. And not only the elders, brothers and sisters, invite one another to pray, to hear your concerns, to pray. God loves to hear his children call out to him together. Yes, he loves to hear you pray, but he loves even greater to hear us pray together. Living together as a community It will mean that we offend one another from time to time. It will happen. But don't let offense lie unattended. Both Matthew 5.23 and Matthew 18.15 tell us to go to that brother or sister and seek reconciliation through forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness. That's what our call is. Nothing. I want to say that nothing will make God more happy than this. Forgiveness and reconciliation. How can I say that so confidently? Because it's his heart. It's God's heart. It's what brought Christ here to die for us. Reconciliation and forgiveness through repentance. Would he not want that among his children? Yes. Dying to our old sinful nature, our old nature, means dying to the pride, the shame, and the self-regard that keeps us apart. It's this dying that frees us to live in the love of God and that seeks one another's good. Oh, friends, let's die to that and let's live to God with one another. There are so many ways that you can honor God with every part of yourself. Uh, Rather than talk about that now, I want you to take time this evening. Go to one of those dinners and discussions that Joe was talking about earlier and talk to one another about how you can serve God with every part of yourself along with the others in this family of faith. This weekend is Pentecost. It it marks the beginning of the church and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit living in us as believers that gives us that power to die to the old self and to live for God. We can trust Him to complete this work in us. The Holy Spirit. Why? 
because he's the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. He's the spirit of truth who will be with us forever. He is our advocate who teaches us and reminds us of Christ. He fills the believer, gives joy, helps us to grow, and gives us gifts that we may serve one another and build up the church. This is the Holy Spirit. And we celebrate Him this weekend. And the church, the bride of Christ. Oh, how Christ is honored when we love the church as He loves the church. Even in all her local assemblies, even in all her diversity. Amen? Amen. Well, friends, let's join together in prayer now. And after I pray, we're going to sing a song, Christ is Mine Forevermore, remembering that Christ has given to the church the keys of Zion that we hold on to, that we will be singing about in that song. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, your grace is greater than our sin. And in that grace, you have called us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow Christ. Lord, help us. Our, our, our flesh, our minds, they, they, they fight against that. And yet, the power of sin, you have broken, Jesus, through your death. And resurrection. Oh, Jesus, may we press into our union with you, not only individually, but together as a church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.